going to be awesome. <laughs> and and so we we thoroughly enjoy that and have a lot of fun with that. Um, and it's great to, it's kind of interesting because it's like my congregation changes every year, um, which is as, is good and bad, but uh, it's it's a it's a lot of fun. Um, so uh, I know Tommy and Stephanie. I've known now. Uh, thinking back, it's it's almost been eight years that I met them. Um, we were at seminary together. We kind of I overlapped with both of them. So I was just starting as Stephanie was finishing, and then I was ending as Tommy was starting his degree. And Tommy and I actually would, uh, for a time, we met every week together. And um, you guys are just so blessed to have such wonderful people that are that are here to lead you. And um, it's awesome that the reason that I'm here is because they are away preparing their their hearts and and trying to listen to what God has for all of you. So I'm, it's, it's a privilege to be here, and I'm, I'm glad for that reason that, that I get to be here. Uh, and so Tommy, actually, we did a lot of youth events together, um, and you should ask him sometime how many pizzas he can fit into the back of his Scion, because uh, it's more than you would think. <laughs> um, let me tell you a little bit more about myself. Uh, it's usually helpful to get to know a speaker, you know, so you can kind of understand where they're coming from. Uh, I am a person that is really easily distracted. Um, I, did, I forgot to mention this in the first service. I actually, I don't have a smartphone. I have a flip phone um, because all it does is call and text. And it's great because then I'm not like, well, what's the weather going to be in five minutes? <laughs> Same as it is right now. Awesome. And five minutes later, oh, what's the weather going to be? Uh, but so as part of my job, I oversee a team of RAs, and we meet together as a team every Monday night. And uh, if we strictly talked business, uh, we would probably would meet for 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes. 30 minutes would be a long meeting if we only talked business. But, you know, there's especially, you know, with college students, sophomore guys, and me basically being one, uh, you, you know, you start something and then that reminds somebody of something else, which then reminds somebody of something else and then reminds, and then suddenly you're over here and you're like, we were talking about something important. Oh, that's right. Okay. 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 Um, and, and I'm not the most organized person at times. And so sometimes it can be hard, you know, it's like, okay, that's, that's what we were talking about. Yes. And the other thing that happens with that is there's lots of times where, uh, way, way too many times, when there's the honeydew list to get done, and you start going down the list, and then, you know, you, but you're maybe in the middle of something, but then you see, oh, that's right, I need to go do this over here, and so you do this over here, and then you go, ha, I'm done with stuff. And then there's this other thing that you forgot to finish doing because you didn't go back to it. Um, yeah. So... So that's just, just a little bit about me. Um, and, uh, and with that, I, you know, as you can probably tell, stories lead to stories. And sometimes that is much to the chagrin of my wife, um, who wishes I didn't tell as many stories. But to, to our scripture for today. So when I asked Stephanie, like, so what would you like me to preach on? You know, I kind of assume like, oh, you know, we're, we're going through a series on something, you know, or we're, we're doing like these passages in the lectionary text. Well, she did the lectionary test, text in the series that's for today, last week. And so she was like, so you just preach on whatever you want. 
I'm like, oh, thanks. Uh, one of the things that I really like about announcing is they tell me what to say. I don't have to come up with it. I just, they just hand me a script and I just talk. It's great. Um, but so as I was, was looking through it, I decided that uh, I'm going to do the lectionary passage from Mark for today. Um, but since you guys have been going through 1 Corinthians, I thought I'd give you a little bit of background um, that may help give a little bit more insight for us. So I think Mark is a, is a really fascinating book. Um, partially, I think it's fascinating, probably because I connect with it a little bit more. So Mark, if you've, if you've read through the whole thing, kind of like has these little chunks and there's a, there's a story and then there's a story and then there's a story and then he kind of comes back to a similar story. And, and so I, I, I kind of connect with sort of the almost randomness of it. Um, but uh, Mark is also considered to be one of the, the earliest of the four Gospels. In fact, it's likely that both Matthew and Luke used Mark as a reference. In fact, actually, if you were to compare all three of the Gospels, um, Mark only has about, I think it's around 20% of it that is unique to only Mark. So most of the rest of Mark is found in either Matthew or Luke and just kind of put in different orders as, as they tell the story from their perspectives. They, they just, um, they, they have things in, in different orders. Uh, and most scholars think that uh, the main source for Mark is actually the Apostle Peter. Um, and if you know the stories of Peter and how he kind of interacts in the way that, that he is portrayed in the Gospels, is he sort of a, oh, I got an idea. And then he, you know, he, goes, he tries to do it and Jesus kind of has to rein him in a decent amount. Um, so that might explain a little bit why Mark kind of feels like, a, and then they're here, and then they're here, and then they're here. Um, so... Uh, but one thing that Mark very, very much seeks to do is to share the identity of Jesus. And specifically, his identity is as the Messiah, as the Son of God. In fact, when you look at the opening verse to Mark, he just jumps right into it. You know, Matthew and Luke, they, they tell, you know, they each have their own birth narrative. Um, they, they tell more of kind of a background story. You know, Matthew provides a genealogy, um, you know, and then... And, they, you know, there's a story about you know, Jesus in the temple, and there's all this other stuff before Jesus kind of shows up on the, on the scene. And Mark just kind of, he's like, ah, that, that stuff's, yeah, Jesus is here. And that just jumps, just jumps right into it. Uh, but it's interesting because that's, that's the perspective of us. That's the perspective of the reader. But when you look at the other characters, especially like the disciples, they don't really seem to get it. There's lots of moments when they just don't understand, um, and, and they sort of miss the point. And it's interesting because also in the first chapter, there's several times when Jesus casts out demons, and he specifically silences them. Like, no, 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 no. you can't say who I am. So be gone, be quiet. And, and it's actually Jesus is intentionally trying to, to almost, not to hide who he is, but to but to keep it a little bit more under wraps. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, but it's, it's due in large part because of misunderstandings of who the Messiah would be. Um, but so let's get to today's passage. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 1. We're going to read verses 29 to 39. Uh, and I'll be reading from uh, the New Revised Standard Version. 
As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew and with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him at once about her. He came, took her by the hand, and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons. And the whole city was gathered around the door, and he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak, because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place. And there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. He answered, Let us go to the neighboring towns, so that I may proclaim the message there also. For that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message and message in their synagogues and casting out demons. The word of the Lord. Now, there's a lot that we could dive into. So, you know, I earlier told you that I was, I'm an easily distracted guy. And so as I was trying to kind of focus in on what I wanted to talk about today, it seemed like I had just had a plethora of things that I could talk about. You know, you, we could talk about healing um, and, and dive into that conversation. We could talk about the, the restoration that leads to service. This, this seemingly almost unimportant little side note of, oh, by the way, you know, Simon's mother-in-law was sick. Jesus healed her. They served. And then she served him. But in that, you can, we can talk. And it's an entirely other sermon. So here's just a little mini portion of what that would be, that we are restored not just for our own sake, that we may serve others. But that's not today's sermon. That would be a different sermon. Uh, and we could dive a lot more into the, the silencing of demons, which we'll, we'll kind of touch on just a little bit. But today, I want to focus on the last couple of verses. It was interesting as I was going through my studies, I, I came across what was a new thought to me, specifically uh, dealing with um, verse kind of 35, and then it's the implications later. So verse 35, in the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went to a deserted place, and there he prayed. Usually when I've come across this verse, and I've talked about it a lot with friends and, you know, in Bible studies, and, and usually it is just simply a focus of, man, if Jesus needed to get away and connect with God, how much more do we need to? And, and that is a is a wonderful, beautiful thing. And we're actually going to talk more about that as well. But the, the interesting thing as I was reading through some commentaries is there, is there are thoughts that this is actually a bit of a parallel or foreshadowing to actually the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, obviously, the, it's not a, you know, exactly the same. In, in the Garden, we, we, we hear much of what Jesus is praying about. And it's certainly... Um, an incredibly crucial point in Jesus's life as he moves to the cross. But I think the key parallel is in seeking God's will. And that's where we, where we find it. So in the, in the garden, we find Jesus praying out to God, God, if there is another way, let it be so. Don't, you know, take this cup from me. Now, ultimately, God says, no, this is, this is the cup you are to drink. And Jesus, in obedience, says, thy will be done. And praise the Lord for that. 
But so we find here that Jesus is also at a, at a crucial time in his ministry, a crucial time in, in what he was doing. So let's, let's kind of look up what, what leads to this prayer time. So Jesus' ministry has just begun. He's you know, not that far into it. He, he started, it technically starts back on verse 14. Uh, now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near Repent and believe in the good news. There is the start of Jesus' ministry, just you know, not that far um, before this, this section that we're looking at. He's barely called his disciples. He doesn't even have all of them with him. And he's, but he started to have some success. And he's at a point where, because he is so early, his, his disciples haven't really kind of been shaped by how he's going to do things. He hasn't been around for that long, you know, working full-time towards the ministry. And so he can set the trajectory of where he's going. He's got a lot of room. There's a lot of different ways that he can take this. And when you look at it from maybe a success standpoint, where he's had the most success is, is what just happened. You know, what we read in verses, uh, starting in verse 32, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick with or possessed with demons. And the whole city was gathered around the door. I mean, what preacher wouldn't love to have the whole city waiting outside where he was? I mean, I'm pretty sure that most people are going to call this a successful start to Jesus' ministry. But so, what is his response to this? He finds himself in, in this place that, from, especially from a worldly perspective, is incredibly successful. His response is he takes a step back and prays about it. Now, apparently, he doesn't tell anybody that he's doing this because everybody is, seems to be, be frantically searching for him. And when they find him, they say, Jesus, come on, everybody wants to, you know, still wants you. They, they want you to be here. And his immediate response is, let us go to the neighboring towns. We're going to do something different. And actually, we find that it's not, we're going to go do something different. It's, I'm going to return to what I initially did. To, re to return to proclaiming the message. And when I, when I thought about it, when I sat down and was, and was really thinking about this, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You know, it was like, okay, let's see. So you show up, things are going really well. You're doing lots of really good things. I mean, no one, no one is going to argue that healing people, casting out demons, those are good things. They make a profound impact on people's lives. You know, one of the other things that could be a, a nice thing about it, you know, we find that, you know, later in, in, in Scripture, Jesus describes himself as one who has no home, that he, he is a wanderer, he has no place to lay his head. You know, this was an opportunity. He, he could set up home base right there. He wouldn't have to go anywhere. It was already proven that people would show up. And in a way, that sort of model was, was shown by John the Baptist, who was out in the wilderness. People came to him. I mean, it wasn't even they were going to a town. They were going to the middle of nowhere. And 
And so the people were, were hungry when news spread of this man, Jesus, who could heal and cast out demons, and he's in Capernaum. We can just go there. So we have this opportunity. And a little side note, most people don't really think about this. So we find out that Peter is married, and I'm pretty sure that his wife would have been very okay with the fact that he was around a little bit more. Uh, at least get those honeydews done. Um, but so we, I, I had to ask myself, like, why, why is this not the trajectory that was then set? Why not? I mean, these are good things. Jesus was doing not just good things, great things. I mean, even for a little while, why couldn't it be what was going on? And I think that the answer was because God knew it would be a distraction, both to the present and I think even ultimately to the eternal. And I think for the, for the present, the, the Jewish people were already, especially when it came to the idea of a Messiah, they were, they were a very distracted people. And admittedly so. I mean, they'd spent years in, in exile, and when they finally got to come home, they were always under the rule of somebody else. If it wasn't the Greeks, it was then the Romans. When they thought about a Messiah, they thought about somebody who would come and would be this mighty warrior who would come and set them free, make it so that they weren't an oppressed people anymore, that would restore Jerusalem, restore Israel. But that's not the Messiah that, that would come. It's not the Messiah that they were promised. They were distracted by this idea. They weren't looking for a suffering servant. Likely think that this is actually part of the reason why Christ silenced the demons, especially early on in his ministry. He wanted people to come to know who he was going to be as the Messiah. Instead of having it be people find out he's the Messiah and then trying to, to put all these expectations on him that they were kept silent, that, that the people may come to know the true Messiah. And it's, when we think about the, the continuation of, of his ministry, you know, it's not like healing and exorcism. They're absolutely a part of it. But it's just, it's not the main part. It wasn't supposed to be the focus. That's not why he came. Now, it absolutely is a part of it, and it's a piece of, of who he is and, and what he did. But, but when we think about it also, think about how Christianity might be very different today. You know, if there had been a singular place, you know, we already talk about the Holy Land. Imagine if it had been a spot, a home, or a, even a city that, that Christ came and, and ministered and performed all his miracles in we likely would have a very different view of, of, of worship. We'd have a different view of how things go. I, I mean, I don't really know how that might affect us fully, but I can't imagine that it would be a good thing. I think we would probably end up putting our trust in a place over God because that was, that was the place that it happened. 
I'm afraid that because the focus would have been on the healings and casting out demons, that we actually probably would lose much of the teaching of Jesus. When Jesus goes and what he provides are the words, that's what we receive. Now we, in conjunction with that, we, you know, we hear the stories of healing that go along with it, but the heart of it, the bulk of it, are things like the parables. Could you imagine how different we would be as Christians if we didn't have the parables? And that would be, that would be a tragedy. And I think we would have a, a distorted view of how the Holy Spirit works. That if the Holy, we would we would assume that the only way that it works is through healing or casting out demons, instead of the way that the Holy Spirit empowers us to live holy lives. That goes way beyond all of that. But fortunately for us, Christ avoids the distraction. He goes to the Father and is and finds the right course. And I think that in that, that's, that's where we can draw a whole lot for today. I think that it starts with, you have to know, at least have some sort of an idea of what God's will is to begin with. That if we are to, to keep from being distracted from something, you have to have something to be distracted from. So it starts with, Jesus knew very well, first and foremost, he started his ministry with preaching, spreading the message, the good news, the gospel. And that's what he went back to. That's what he knew, that this is my focus. It is not this, this ministry of only healing and casting out demons. My call is to preach, and that's what I will do. And I don't want to create the illusion here that, that the will of God, the way that he calls, is a permanently fixed, finite thing in everyone's life. Because I don't think that that's true either. I think that God's call can, can change and move and shift. And this is, an, you know, this is an example of Jesus. It doesn't shift. But I think that uh, we learn an important thing because it, it had the potential to. And I think that whether it shifts or whether it doesn't, that we can draw from the same principle, that you have to be able to take a step back to remove yourself from the situation so that you can fully understand it, so that you can focus in on, on what it is that God has for you. In our world today, we are, I don't think I'm the only one that gets super distracted. Uh, I think a huge part of that is that we are surrounded by noise. It's on our phones, it's on our computers, TV, social media, advertisements. Uh, you know, we may, we may not always realize it, but today in watching the Super Bowl, we'll be called in a lot of different ways. There'll be a lot of different things pulling and vying for our attention. And if you recognize them for that, it's, it's not so bad, but... And we have to be able to take a step back from that noise. It's exactly what Jesus does. Could you imagine if trying to make a decision about whether or not you were going to, to stay and help somebody or go and do something else if the person that you were trying to help was standing right next to you? 
And oftentimes, you know, I, I find in my own life that I probably would make a lot better decisions long term, at least, if every time somebody went, hey, I've got a great idea. If I didn't just go, that is a great idea, and then move forward, even if it took five minutes, kind of step back, like, let me think about that for a second. <laughs> and so I think that, that that's a practice that we need to have in our lives. That in order to be able to, to continually hear the will of God, we need to be able to, to take that step back. To remove the noise. You know, it says Jesus went to, went to a secluded place, a deserted place. And there were no distractions out there. So that he could make sure that he, he heard the message that he was supposed to have. And the last thing that, that I think we can take away from this is we can't assume that just because something is good doesn't mean it's not a distraction. I, there's a, a, a saying, and I, I don't remember how long ago I heard it. It's, it's been a while. But that the enemy of the best is not always the worst, but it's often the good or the okay or especially the mediocre. That often what keeps us from doing what could absolutely be the best for us can be just something that's good. Something that's okay. Because when you're, when you're consumed with the good, you, you can't do the best because there's, there's not time for it. You're doing this instead of that. And sometimes we, we can't actually see what those things are. And so sometimes we need to, not sometimes, all the time, we need to come with a humility when we come to God asking, what is your will and how can I do it? Because sometimes what, what God calls us to, especially in a moment, can seem maybe not as significant. And sometimes it, it, people may be confused by it. You know, I... One of the things that I wish Mark would do sometimes is to give us a little bit more detail. Because, you know, they, they say, everyone's looking for you. And Jesus goes, we're going this way. And then it's like, and then it's just, and Jesus did that. I would have loved to hear, hear the conversation between Simon and Jesus where, you know, Simon says, hey, everybody's looking for you. And then Jesus goes, we're going to go to the next town and preach. That's, that's what's going to happen. And then Simon's, Simon would be like, what? I, excuse me? I mean, there's, all these, there's still people. Because earlier in the passage, we, we hear that it's, he says he cured many who were sick. I mean, that tells us there, there were still sick people there. And, and so Peter is probably trying to process this like, okay, so... There's still sick people. You can heal them, but we're we're. Uh, I don't follow your logic here. <laughs> and a lot of times, when we if we only use our own logic, it doesn't make sense. And so we have to come to God with a humility that says. Gosh, I probably don't understand this. I don't recognize the internal 
implications of, of what you've called me to. And so we have to be able to, to, to lay it down and say, thy will be done. Because you, you are God, I am not. And that's, that's part of the challenge for us. Because our distractions can come in, can all come in all forms of forms and shapes, and I mean they can be as simple as our logic. It can be something. Some things are really obviously distractions, like uh, obviously distractions. Now I can't think of an obvious distraction. Uh, yeah, you know. Watching, oh, how about this? Watching a TV show and you should be, you know, spending time with family or friends or getting that list done that's supposed to be done. I don't know. Wow, that was good. Uh, but sometimes distractions, like I said, they're, they're, they're less obvious. They're the good things that just keep us from what we're supposed to be doing. So I, I hope that... I hope that today what you can take away is, is just that it's not always easy to understand what God's will is. And so we have to be able to, to take that step back and to listen, to remove the noise, to follow Christ's example on that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we just want to thank you so much for who you are, for what you mean to us. God, for the fact that you, you love us enough to come down, to come down to this place, to live amongst us, that you could help to show us the way. And in doing that, that you would ultimately pave the way by going to the cross. And God, it could have gone very differently. But we are so grateful that it didn't. And God, as we seek to, to follow your will in our lives, God, we understand that things could, could go very differently. So I pray that you would help to keep our ears and our hearts open that we'd be able to remove the distractions from our life and to follow you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for being here this morning. It was a privilege to be here with you. I received the benediction. May God guide and lead us through our lives. And may we be ever sensitive to how the Holy Spirit moves us. Go in the confidence that the one who called us yesterday still calls us today, if we will but hear. Amen. Go in peace.